The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. William J. Flynn is the new president and CEO of Amtrak, taking over the country's passenger railroad service in the middle of a pandemic. Amtrak had its best year ever in 2019, only to experience a 95% drop in ridership these past few months. Despite reducing service and taking substantial steps to shrink operating costs, Amtrak is seeking supplemental funding from Congress in order to be viable next year. Will new safety measures and a fleet of high-speed trains lure riders back when the country reopens? Let's listen. Good morning and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Frances Steed Sellers, a senior writer at the Washington Post and host this morning in the, of the new installment of our series, The Path Forward. I'm gonna be talking today with Bill Flynn, who's the CEO and president of Amtrak about the future of train travel. Welcome, Mr. Flynn. Good morning, Francis, great to be here. Well, thanks, Bill. What a time to be taking over Amtrak at this very moment. When you came in earlier this year, Amtrak had just come out of one of its most successful years ever in its 50 year history. Could you update us a little bit now on ridership and revenues? Sure, thank you, Francis. You're right, uh, Amtrak, when it finished uh, fiscal year 2019, had made substantial progress over the last uh, uh, three to four years and was looking forward to a tremendous opportunity in fiscal year 20 to, to, to have a break even or better year for the first time in its history. Um, what was achieved really over those three or four years was a, the company built a tremendous foundation in terms of quality of service, uh, growth in, in ridership, and uh, particularly uh, ever-increasing scores and customer satisfaction. Uh, and I mentioned that foundation because it's, it's important to have uh, that in mind as we think about not only this fiscal year, but uh, as we think about our, our mid to, to long-term future as a company. So clearly ridership was affected in, uh, in 2020, much the same as virtually every industry was as a result of the pandemic. Our ridership dropped to just 3% of what it would have been at a normal rate. In other words, we were carrying about 3,000 passengers a day in April of this year when we would have been carrying uh, something north of 90,000. Uh, ridership's begun to gradually improve, but we really have a long way to go to recapture the level of ridership that we, um, we experienced in 2019. Right, so we, you have- if, if, if I may, Francis, just one thing I wanna underscore before we go further, uh, in, in our discussion here today, is I, I just want to recognize the people of Amtrak, and, and in particular, our frontline people, our people who are at the stations, uh, our people working uh, you know, as red caps, handling our customers' uh, baggage, our conductors and onboard service people, our, our locomotive engineers, and our people who report uh, to our dispatch centers, mechanical and engineering. The, the large part of our company, the large part of our team, can't work from home. They're essential right. workers, they have to show up at some risk, and, and they've done a great job in providing this uh, essential service uh, throughout this pandemic, and, and um, we just couldn't do it without them, and, 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 I, and I want to make sure they're really recognized you know, for the courage they right. have in the work. Right. You have moved during your 34-year career, career um, cargo and people around the world on almost every form of transportation. 
by air, by freight, by train, by ship, by boat, but I guess nothing could really prepare you for the coronavirus pandemic. Well, um, I don't think we've ever experienced anything like a global pandemic um, that we have now. I, I did live in Asia when we had the, the outbreak of, of, of SARS and saw the impact of, of uh, and swine flu on volumes and business activity when I was living in Japan and uh, later on in Hong Kong when I was in the o o uh, ocean shipping business. Certainly from a public health uh, point of view, as I mentioned a moment ago, we've not seen uh, something global um, such as seeing today. So I've had friends who've just cho chosen to take a train all the way to Florida rather than uh, flying. Do you believe that taking a train is safer than taking an airplane at this point? I think taking a train and taking an Amtrak train is really a great option for, for anyone considering um, um, travel today. We've implemented uh, a wide range of measures, certainly certainly informed by CDC guidance and, and, and other authorities' guidance. I believe we've gone over and above. Uh, for example, we're uh, limiting the capacity of, that we'll book on our trains to, to, to 50%. So that essentially means that if you're traveling as an individual, you'll have the seat next to you uh, empty. Uh, if you're traveling as a family, of course, you can uh, travel in a group. We're requiring that face masks be worn in our stations and on board our trains. Uh, we're moving as much as we practically can to a contactless, uh, 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 contactless experience, whether that's uh, checking in at our, at our kiosk, uh, using, our on, using our app so that you're no longer carrying a ticket. Um, our conductors can scan uh, your, your ticket. Um, uh, or, or scan your, your, your QR code uh, on, your, on your phone. Uh, we have plexiglass shields installed um, in our stations um, as well. And in our cafe car, uh, we have takeout uh, uh, where you can purchase a meal and bring it back to your seat, for example, or have service uh, delivered uh, to, your, to your sleeper if you're on, you know, on one of those trains. And just something else that that's we've begun to research and better understand over the last um, several weeks is that when you look at uh, how the virus is transmitted, transmitted uh, in the air, um, in the cabin or uh, of our of our trains in our in our trains, we have tremendous uh, fresh air exchange, and uh, our fresh air exchange is some fairly significant multiple of what happens inside, say, the pressurized cabin. Uh, of an airplane. So we're doing more research to understand how, how that is a very, really important attribute and feature of riding in a train, riding in an Amtrak train. So just follow up a little bit on that, because obviously we can't open windows in a train these days, as you used to be able to in the past, but you have fresh air brought in above our heads, right. as you wouldn't, but circulating with fresh air, not just recirculating air. Oh, absolutely, with fresh air. So substantial uh, recirculation throughout the, uh, throughout the trip. And we think, again, there's not a full array of science on that uh, as of yet, but it's research we're doing and we're in discussion with um, uh, passenger railroad systems in Europe and, and in Asia as well to, to learn from their experience and perhaps benefit from their insight as well. So I have a reader question that I want to ask you. You've partially answered it when you talked about um, single seating at the moment, not having somebody next, next to you. But Val Snyder from Colorado asks, will you be installing plexiglass between seats? Now, I guess that could become an issue, right, 
if you decide to go beyond 50% capacity or whatever you're talking about at the moment? Right, Val. No, uh, thank you, Val, for that question. No, we're not uh, going to be installing plexiglass between the seats. We have plexiglass in our stations at our, uh, at our ticket counters. Uh, we have a full array of cleaning and, and uh, um, uh, all implementing all of the CDC guidelines. We will and do, not will, but we do require that our passengers wear uh, face masks while on board uh, and certainly um, our, our onboard uh, um, conductors and, and, and service staff do as well. So you've talked um, very movingly about the staff that you depend on, that we see the red caps and everybody else who work at the stations. Um, what about uh, staff safety? How much contact tracing or more importantly, probably testing are you doing? I think one of the unions said that as many as 100 um, Amtrak employees may have been exposed. Um, how are you addressing concerns like that now? Well, in, in terms of how this virus acts and how it spreads, that's been our, our really our day one concern. And, and like uh, the rest of the country, we've been learning more about that as we go along. I, we, we have our own medical department headed by, by Dr. Kunin. We have our own public health uh, department as well. And I believe that Amtrak was uh, early on in uh, introducing uh, enhanced cleaning protocols and other measures uh, before even we had definition from um, CDC. Uh, we, uh, we certainly covered the cost of all testing or any testing that um, uh, any of our employees would wish to have. We've encouraged and, and strongly encouraged our employees if they're, if they're not feeling well to do a number of things, to take advantage of the testing, to not report to work, uh, to quarantine themselves uh, for a period of, of, uh, you know, of, of 14 days. We're covering all of the medical costs uh, involved. And should someone contract COVID, we will cover, of course, all of the medical costs um, um, for them. As a, result, as a result of COVID. Uh, and again, testing um, is something that it depends state by state, uh, given the availability, uh, what the availability of testing may be. And um, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, any of, of our employees who, who wants to be tested will certainly uh, direct them to their uh, testing facilities as provided by the, um, um, the state that they live in and, and cover all of those costs. So before coming to Amtrak, you spent 13 years at Atlas Air. What are some of the uh, differing challenges between uh, air and rail uh, transportation travel and getting people around? Well, they're quite different, as, as, as you know. Um, I, I, I think um, what, what strikes me about uh, where we are with Amtrak today more than any, anything else is the mid to long term tremendous growth opportunities that Amtrak has. As we think about not just our Northeast corridor, but as our, our state supported routes, which are part of our national network and on our long distance routes and points in between on the long distance routes, I, I believe there's a tremendous opportunity uh, for Amtrak. And so what excited me among many, uh, many, uh, several key things in, in terms of uh, the opportunity to become a part of Amtrak and join the team was this long mid to long term growth opportunity that I believe our company our company has and 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 you know with the given set of circumstances uh, an appropriate meaningful level of investment I believe we could double our our, our traffic from some 32 33 million passengers a year uh, to 64 
million or so over the next 20 years. I so think what that's are your, apologies for interrupting you there. What are your top priorities now and how have you had to um, adjust them in light of what's happened? What's what's your main goal coming in? And Sure, our number one goal is safety and security and ensuring that we continue to drive the absolute highest level of performance of safety and safety outcomes um, uh, across the company. Uh, building on that, because that's foundational in my mind for everything else we do, it's to continue to drive uh, the quality and of, our, of our product, of our service, to drive uh, on-time performance and invest in the other uh, components of our service that are gonna drive very high rates of, of customer satisfaction. And in doing so, that's really the, the foundational uh, uh, basis we need to have that's going to propel our growth. So safety, service, and customer satisfaction are really the three areas that I'm uh, uh, absolutely focused on. So the Northeast Corridor is one of your busiest areas and you have a new seller, I think, prep to come next year. Is that on schedule? I believe it'll go 165 miles an hour. Um, how much time will that cut off those routes that we're familiar with between, say, Washington and New York? Sure. So we're uh, anticipating that we'll get our first two Acela 21s uh, delivered uh, in uh, 2021 uh, and hope to have expect to have eight full train sets uh, in operation um, by the end of the year. Uh, that's something we continue to calibrate because COVID has had some impact on, on the rate of manufacturing, but it is our expectation to have a number of our 28 total train sets uh, in service in uh, 2021. The train sets themselves offer about a 25% increase in capacity over our, over our current Acela. They provide, as you, as you pointed out, uh, very high speeds, which of course we're uh, up to 165 miles an hour. Uh, we're making a broad array, a range of, of investments in our track, in our stations, and our ability to service, um, service the equipment. And we think it's gonna be an exceptional product uh, for our customers. A lot of the individual features within the Acela train itself, uh, seating, uh, Wi-Fi accessibility uh, 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 for all of our customers. Um, uh, all of that, the choices we've made there have been informed by uh, substantial research in our customer with our customers uh, to make sure we're making uh, the right choices around the product and what our customers will come to expect from that Acela 21. And how much time will that save us, say between Washington and New York? Well, it could save us up. Well, it depend on the route and then the stations, but uh, it, it could save you know somewhere in minutes or so. We're still finalizing that, but that that's quite a bit. And these trains, 165 miles an hour is is obviously very fast, much slower than Asian trains and European trains that we know about. Will we ever have trains traveling at those sort of comparable speeds, several hundred miles an hour? Well. Those are the speeds you're talking about are maximum uh, speeds. That doesn't necessarily mean that's the average speed that the trains run, uh, because they're particularly in Europe they're running over relatively shorter distances. If we're if we're thinking, uh, you know, about uh, taking a train from Frankfurt to Bonn, <clears throat> or taking a train from Tokyo to Nagoya. So I think at 165 miles an hour, 
looking at the length of haul that these trains have and the distance between stops, uh, they are indeed comparable to what one might find on, on similar distances between cities uh, in both European and Asian uh, train operations. So I have another reader question. This is from Perry Seaton. I'm going to read it to you. Perry Seaton in Missouri, who says, what will be needed in terms of infrastructure and funding to bring high-speed rail to large parts of the US? So he's thinking, obviously, beyond the Northeast Corridor. Well, it's going to take a, a, a substantial investment, uh, sustained investment over many years to bring high-speed rail to areas of the country that could actually that would uh, be able to support high-speed rail in terms of, of, of levels of ridership. But it's a substantial investment uh, in infrastructure, and, and it will require, as we are today, uh, our ability to reach agreement uh, with our freight railroads, our host railroads, uh, to be able to operate long-distance high-speed rails across that network. So a lot of work to be done. <laughs> um, this year, Congress gave you 1.4, 1.5 billion, I think, from the CARES Act. Um, will you be needing more? Where will that take you? And what is it allowing you to do at this point? So under the CARES Act this year, we received just uh, over $1 billion, and that was to uh, address the, the, the impact that COVID's had on the business, or on our company, I should say, between um, March and the end of the fiscal year in September of this year. In February of this year, we submitted our, our request for FY21 funding, uh, just a little bit north of $2 billion was the request. And we amended that request just recently to ask for an additional $1.475 billion to address the shortfall in revenue uh, and results that we're gonna have as a result of COVID. Our planning assumption now is that we'll handle about 50% of uh, the ridership in fiscal year 2021, call that 16, 16 and a half million riders, that we compared to the level of ridership we had in uh, fiscal year 19, which was just uh, a little over 32 million riders. And so we, we're, we're doing a number of things. So we've asked for the $1.457 billion, as you pointed out. We're looking to reduce costs within the company in the range of about uh, another $500 million. And uh, of course, we have our base supplemental of $2 billion that we requested. So Amtrak has historically been very dependent on government subsidies, and you're talking very ambitiously about the future. Do you see a future for Amtrak that could be profit-making without those subsidies? Well, in terms of on an operating cost basis, we believe what Amtrak provides is an exceptional value um, to our customers. You know, by legislation, we, we run as a for-profit business. Um, but I do believe that uh, substantial investment is going to be needed to address our infrastructure. Uh, if we just think, first of all, for example, on the NEC, where we look, think about the bridges and tunnels uh, uh, and underlying track infrastructure, uh, there are assets, key assets uh, on, that, on that corridor uh, that, that date from the 1890s, for example, the BMP tunnel right. or the water right. across Connecticut. That's going to call for billions of dollars to get uh, over time to get those assets to um, uh, to stay in good repair and, 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 and beyond repair. Uh, many of these assets simply need to be fundamentally uh, replaced. 
As we look across the network more broadly, we certainly need to continue to, to invest in infrastructure across that network. Uh, that infrastructure, in my mind, also includes rolling stock, not typically thought of as infrastructure, but we're, we're about, in addition to our cell of 21, we're looking to, to make an investment in a new, uh, a new fleet of inner city trains that, that will serve all components of, of Amtrak, uh, the long distance network, the uh, state supported network, and, and, and of course, uh, our Northeast corridor. Uh, there's gonna be investment required on uh, our host railroads that, that um, we're gonna to have to look to do to build uh, passing sightings, for example, to, to allow for a greater accommodation uh, uh, to fulfill you know, the, uh, you know, our preference right of access on freight rails with passing sightings that will accommodate uh, longer trains that, 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 that uh, precision schedule rail riding as, as introduced into the network. So one of the big projects you've um, you've embarked on, or your predecessors did, was the Gateway program, which I think has cost 300 million. Would <coughs> excuse me, um, update us on where that stands and uh, what the future for that is, and what change it could make. Well, Gateway program is a long, multi-year process. It's a series of bridges uh, and other infrastructure uh, um, in, the, in the New Jersey side. And for example, you've just seen funding for the for the gate, for the Portal North Bridge. Uh, being confirmed and we're 90% there, but it's all the way through to, to new tunnels uh, under the Hudson and, and substantial um, development of, of Penn Station as well. So that's a long, as I said, multi-year process. There are segments. Gateway is really the accumulation or the accumulation of, of multiple pro projects, um, and, and there is quite a bit of work uh, yet to be done uh, to move that project forward, and, and funding is a key part of it, of course. We've had a lot of uh, nostalgia and uh, practical concerns from listeners about the long-distance trains, um, some of which you've cut to three days a week from five days a week. Um, there's been bipartisan support for long-distance trains. Why not invest heavily in that? Why, why the cuts in long-distance, which concerns some people, particularly in underserved communities across the country? Yes, long distance, the long distance network is an essential part of, of Amtrak's uh, national network, and it's a service we're fully committed to. Um, um, and I want to be clear on that. And you're right, there is there's bicameral, bipartisan support um, for the long distance network, and we fully understand that. Right now, we are running essentially a full long distance service. Uh, when we look at our Northeast Corridor and our, and our state-supported network, uh, the, the, the network of uh, the third, the long-distance network, has had the least uh, amount of service reduction in FY 2021. That's part of the discussion we had uh, with Congress in the, uh, in the request for the, for the billion dollars that we received under, under the CARES Act. What we, are, what we have announced is that we are going to reduce most, not all, but 10 out of the 15 long distance trains to a three day a week service for the winter. Right. And, and that is the period of time when we have the lowest level of ridership on the long distance network. Now, we're not going to be reducing the auto train because that, that's a peak time for the auto train, uh, for example. What we've said this is, is the train, the auto train is the train just for, for listeners from Lawton, Virginia down to Florida. 
Yes, that's right, Francis. Thanks for thanks for clarifying that. Yes, that's 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 the train service that we're talking about. Uh, the peer, so that these these reductions will go into effect in October, which is right at the time that the long distance network, other than auto train and one other, one or two other trains perhaps, goes into its lowest level of ridership. Uh, and then we will be evaluating those trains and train service along with other uh, other indicators. I'll come to those in a moment. Of, uh, of our ability then to restore service on, uh, on kind of a service by service uh, uh, plan uh, as we come into the spring and uh, late spring and into the summer, which is the highest level of ridership for those long distance trains. So we'll be looking at, at just bookings and level of ridership. Uh, we'll have to just look at where we are in terms of COVID-19 and the pandemic. And, and God forbid there's a, you know, there's a second wave. Uh, we'll want to also understand just Amtrak's uh, financial conditions and just broader levels of demand, not just demands uh, for Amtrak, but broader levels of demand for uh, air air services, uh, for example. So, uh, and, and we're communicating our criteria and how we're thinking about a restoration of long distance, certainly to the representative uh, committees and, and very interested members on the Hill as well. So I do want to ask you about food, which I know has been the topic of various news articles, but the old romance of the white tablecloth and uh, served steak is something that people miss. Um, our readers have told us so, our listeners have told us so, and uh, it's certainly part of the romance of train travel. Um, do you see that ever coming back or are we going to be having packaged meals on those trains, assuming they'll be running five days a week again? Well, actually seven days a week when we're, when we're well, seven days uh, on the LD. Well, I know there's a lot of, certainly a lot of uh, discussion about, about food services, and, and it's our goal to provide a quality food service uh, to, to our passengers on our trains where, where food service is indeed uh, a part of the experience. Um, we provide uh, uh, flexible services now. Uh, certainly um, COVID is, is driving that right now, as, as you know, Food is available on our on our trains, but but food has to be consumed either at your seat or or in your in your room if you're in a, a sleeper right. or in a roomette, and that will um, continue for some time. Well, thank you. Um, I think I have time for one very short question. Um, twenty twenty presidential election year, we have Amtrak Joe running against uh, President Trump. Um, who has threatened cuts? What what could twenty twenty mean for Amtrak? And I'm afraid we need to keep this one short, but. Give me your thoughts. I think what 2020 means for Amtrak is probably better uh, better uh, described by uh, Chairman DeFazio's bill, HR uh, 2. Uh, and in HR 2, which is a comprehensive uh, transportation and infrastructure um, package uh, of legislation, you know, Chairman DeFazio and and really the, uh, the committee itself is outlined in my mind. A, a very bright future for Amtrak, a ringing endorsement for Amtrak and the essential services that we provide with a vision to the company that, that we can in, indeed become. Um, contained within that legislation are some very important features for us, including um, uh, you know, our rights of, rights of uh, access, uh, our ability to uh, ultimately enforce that access, and a substantial amount of funding that addresses certainly infrastructure, state of good repair, and the ability to uh, expand our services 
um, across the United States. Bill Flynn, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.